Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2012. Dealing with Paul's Epistles to the Thessalonians, it's brought to you by Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 6, August 4-10, to 10, Friends Forever, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 to chapter 3.13. Sabbath afternoon, August 4. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message that's already come from Paul. We thank you for his example. And this week, as we look at the friendships that he formed, as we look at the friendships we can form, we pray that they may be based on our friendship with you. Bless us now as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text for this week is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Let's read that again, 1 Thessalonians 3.13. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And our key thought for this week is, God continues to praise the Thessalonians for the good things he sees in them and to encourage them amid the persecution they are facing. There is a deep emotional bond between Paul and the Thessalonians. Paul stresses that bond as he seeks to continue reinforcing in their minds the love that he has for them. While certainly sincere, his words will also help prepare them for the criticism that will soon follow. Paul begins and ends this section with a prayer. In a sense, the entire focus on prayer is Paul's desire for the Thessalonians to be blameless and holy at the second coming of Jesus. The friendship Paul has with them is deeper than earthly friendships. It is a friendship that goes beyond the boundaries of time and history on this earth. Paul is looking forward to spending eternity with the Thessalonian believers. This desire, in part, is what drives his intense concern throughout the letter about their beliefs and behaviour. Paul loves these people and wants them to be ready for the return of Christ. Sunday, August 5. The Judean Example, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13-16. On the surface, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13-16 reads like a digression from the previous themes of pleasing God and caring for the new believers. But verse 13 continues the theme of how the Thessalonians responded to the apostles and the gospel that they brought to Thessalonica. With verse 14, Paul returns to the theme of imitation. The persecution in Thessalonica echoed the earlier persecution of Christians in Judea. Some Jews persecuted Christians, Jewish Christians in Judea, while Gentile and Jewish neighbours together persecuted the largely Gentile Christian population of Thessalonica. 
Here Paul shows that the persecution of Christians is tied to a larger persecution. Those who follow Christ are going to face opposition, even persecution. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 2, 13-16. What message should this passage have for us today? What does it definitely not teach? 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning at verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is, in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Here Paul reveals his feelings about a specific group of Jews who dogged his evangelistic trail from place to place, sowing discord and opposition to the apostles. Passages in the Bible like this have been grossly perverted and twisted in order to justify persecution of Jewish people. But that kind of universal application goes way beyond Paul's intentions here. Paul was speaking specifically about the Judean authorities. The word translated as Jews in 1 Thessalonians 2.14 also can be translated as Judeans, who collaborated with the Romans in the death of Jesus and who made it their business to obstruct the preaching of the gospel wherever and whenever they could. In fact, Paul seems to be echoing what Jesus already said about those who were trying to kill him in Matthew 23. We must keep in mind that Paul himself was a Jew. He was not vilifying an entire class of people. Jesus was Jewish. The first disciples were Jewish. Jews alone formed the early core of the church. As far as Paul was concerned, every Jew he met, such as Silas, Barnabas and Timothy, was potentially a friend for eternity. Every person on earth is a soul for whom Christ died. Prejudice against whole classes of people is not appropriate among those who live at the foot of the cross. So, to finish today, it's easy to point fingers at the church for failure in regard to how it has treated whole classes of people. What about ourselves? How much ethnic prejudice lingers in our own hearts? Monday, August 6. Paul's Hope and Joy, 1 Thessalonians 2, 17-20. In the 14 verses that run from 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through to chapter 3, verse 10, Paul offers a chronological account of his separation from the Thessalonian believers. The theme of friendship runs throughout the passage. These Thessalonians are not just Paul's parishioners, they are truly friends. The entire passage pulses with deep emotion. 
Paul wants all of his later advice to and criticism of the church in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 to be read in light of his love and concern for them. And because of this love, he has earned the right to counsel the church there. The giving of advice is best received when it is grounded in love. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 to 20. What is Paul saying here that's so relevant to us today? Beginning at verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoured more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we want to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? The main verb of verse 17, usually translated as being taken or torn away, is rooted in the concept of being orphaned. When Paul is forced to leave Thessalonica suddenly, he feels the loss of relationship as deeply as if his parents had just died. He wants very much to visit them because he misses them dearly. They are absent in person, but not in heart. He blames this delay on Satan, his words here being another text in the Bible that shows the reality of the great controversy. Paul's longing for the Thessalonian believers, however, is rooted in more than just everyday relationship. It has an end-time focus. Paul looks forward to showing them off to Jesus after the second coming. They are the validation of his ministry for Christ, his eschatological joy and boast. Paul wants there to be evidence at the end that his life has made a difference in the lives of others. What this passage should show us too is that we need to keep our priorities straight. Our existence here is but a vapour, as described by James, yet it is a vapour with eternal consequences. Paul's focus, Paul's priority, is on what is eternal, on what has lasting value and importance. After all, if we really think about the ultimate fate of this world, what else really matters other than the salvation of the lost? So to finish the day, how should all that we do in this life impact to one degree or another the salvation of the lost? However nice it is to talk about this ideal, how do we live in accordance with this objective? Tuesday, August 7. Timothy's Substitute Visit, 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 to 5. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 to 5, and Matthew 24, 9 to 22. In what larger context does Paul see the sufferings of the Thessalonians and himself? Well, first of all, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow labourer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. 
that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labour might be in vain. And Matthew 24, verses 9 to 22. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Jerusalem flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world. Until this time, no, not ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Paul is so distressed about his absence from the Thessalonians that he decides to forgo the companionship of Timothy in Athens in order to get first-hand news of the Thessalonian situation. His intense longing for them leads him to prefer being without Timothy rather than being without news of how they are faring. Because Timothy's mission is to be a substitute or stand-in for Paul, Paul does his best to boost Timothy's authority with the church. Timothy is Paul's brother, a minister of God, and a co-worker in the gospel. Some Greek manuscripts go so far as to call Timothy a co-worker of God. This would be extremely high praise. Paul knows that the mission will be a difficult one, and he does his best to open the way so that Timothy will be received as if Paul himself had come. Verses 3 and 4 give us an idea of what Paul would have said to the Thessalonians had he been able to visit them. The specific word chosen to describe their sufferings is typical of end-time passages, such as in Matthew 24, 9-22. Affliction should not come as a surprise. We all have been warned about it. Christian suffering calls to mind the events of the end, during which time all true believers of Christ will face persecution, as evidenced in Revelation 13. When suffering actually comes, we should see it as a fulfilment of prophecy and an encouragement rather than a discouragement. The purpose of prophecy is not to satisfy our curiosity about the future, but to provide solid assurance amid the challenges we face every day. In verse 5, Paul reveals that he has an additional motive for sending Timothy. He is worried about the difficult things the Thessalonians have experienced might have resulted in their loss of faith. 
He is worried that his mission to Thessalonica might somehow have been in vain or empty of results. So, to finish today, what are things we can do day by day to prepare ourselves spiritually for the inevitable trials that life brings us? Wednesday, August 8. The result of Timothy's visit, 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 10. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 8. Timothy was sent to encourage the Thessalonians. What aspects of Timothy's report brought joy and encouragement to Paul? That is, what did Timothy see in the Thessalonians that Paul thought was good? 1 Thessalonians 3, Verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. The but now of verse 6 is very emphatic. Paul did not waste any time before sitting down to write to the Thessalonians. The instant he got the news from Timothy, he immediately wrote 1 Thessalonians. Question. What do we learn about Paul's prayer life from 1 Thessalonians 3, 9 and 10? What can we take from that for ourselves? Verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. The absence of words such as always and constantly suggests that there was something new in Paul's joy and thanksgiving here, beyond the constant joy and thanksgiving that he always felt when he prayed for the Thessalonians. The joy and thanksgiving in 1 Thessalonians 3, 9 and 10 is an immediate reaction to Timothy's news. What was lacking in their faith? The immediate text doesn't say. As we can see later, Paul's concern with their faith was more practical than theological. Chapters 4 and 5 indicate that they needed to bring their practice in line with their belief. Though they had love and faith and were standing firm in the Lord, it becomes apparent later in the letter that they still had some important growth that needed to be done. So to finish today, why is prayer so important in our own walk with the Lord? How much time do you spend in prayer? What does your answer tell you about how important you deem it? In what ways can you strengthen your prayer life? Thursday, August 9. Paul's Renewed Prayers, 1 Thessalonians 3, 11-13 The second coming of Jesus is a powerful incentive for spiritual growth. 
Every act of abuse or oppression will be brought to justice. Every act of love or kindness will be recognized and rewarded. That means that every act in this life, no matter how small, has meaning in the ultimate scheme of things. But equally important for Paul, and the emphasis in this week's lesson, is that the second coming will be a glorious reunion of family and friends, whose relationships will last forever because of what Jesus has done. Christian relationships do not have an expiration date. They are designed to last forever. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 to 13. What are the things that Paul includes in his prayers for the Thessalonians after the arrival of Timothy? Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. First Thessalonians three eleven to thirteen sounds almost like the benediction at the end of a worship service. Paul, of course, wishes to return to Thessalonica and make up the deficits in the church's faith. But even if he is not able to return, he can still plead with God to motivate and grow the Thessalonians into an abundance of love, not only for each other but also for their neighbors and everyone they meet. This love will be an important component of their characters when Jesus returns. Somewhat puzzling is Paul's comment in verse 13 that Jesus will come with all his saints. The words saints and holy ones are normally applied to human beings in the New Testament. On the other hand, second coming texts in the New Testament normally describe Jesus as accompanied by angels rather than human beings. So, who are the saints in this verse? The solution to this problem is to recognize that in verse 13, Paul adopted the language of Zechariah 14.5 and applied it to the second coming of Jesus. The holy ones in the Old Testament are best understood as angels. The New Testament, on the other hand, gives the word saints new meaning. They are human beings whose righteousness is from Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 3.13, however, Paul reverts to the Old Testament definition of the word saints as angelic beings who stand in the presence of God. As such, they will accompany the God-man Jesus when he returns to earth. Friday, August 10. In the book The Acts of the Apostles, page 255, Ellen White writes, The arrival of Silas and Timothy from Macedonia during Paul's sojourn in Corinth had greatly cheered the apostle. They brought him good tidings of the faith and charity of those who had accepted the truth during the first visit of the gospel messengers to Thessalonica. Paul's heart went out in sympathy tender sympathy toward those believers who, in the midst of trial and adversity, had remained true to God. And from the same writer, from the book Christ's Object Lessons, page 101 and 102, 
True, heaven-born love is not selfish and changeable. It is not dependent on human praise. The heart of him who receives the grace of God overflows with love for God and for those for whom Christ died. Self is not struggling for recognition. He does not love others because they love and please him, because they appreciate his merits, but because they are Christ's purchased possession. If his motives, words or actions are misunderstood or misrepresented, he takes no offence, but pursues the even tenor of his way. He is kind and thoughtful, humble in his opinion of himself, yet full of hope, always trusting in the mercy and love of God. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, in Christ Object Lesson, and in many other places, Ellen White uses the phrase, Souls for whom Christ died. How widely should that phrase be applied? To every human being on earth, or only to fellow believers in Christ? If Christ truly died for all, then why are not all saved? Two, how important is previous relationship when it comes to giving advice or criticism to a fellow believer? What can we learn about this from Paul's example in this week's passage? What can we learn from this that can help us in our ministry to others? 3. Paul's love and concern for the believers in Thessalonica is very apparent. This love mirrors the love that Jesus revealed when he was here in the flesh. Love is such a powerful component in the softening of hearts and the opening up of people to the grace of God. How can we learn to love others more than we already do? How can we better learn to reveal that love as well? And to summarise this week's lesson, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 to chapter 3, 13, Paul describes the events and emotions of the period between the time he was forced to leave Thessalonica and when Timothy arrives in Corinth with news about the church. The central emphasis of the chapter is Paul's deep bond with the Thessalonian believers. And that brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It has two parts. Finding the Way Home, Part 1. Varuska's brothers had become Seventh-day Adventists and often talked about their new faith. Varuska knew that what her brothers told her was probably true, but she wanted no part of a church that didn't allow dancing or drinking or other things that she enjoyed. But her brothers wouldn't take a hint. They kept talking to her about their faith. Marcus, one of her brother's friends, often visited the family home. He talked about God too and invited her to study the Bible with him. Varuska wasn't interested in studying the Bible, but Marcus kept asking. Eventually, Varuska agreed to study the Bible with him. She noticed that Marcus was passionate about God. Varuska discovered that she enjoyed hearing about God. After several months of studying together, Marcus asked Varuska to attend evangelistic meetings with him. Varuska declined. Marcus invited her again and again, and still she refused. But finally, she decided to go. Varuska attended several of the meetings, but she resisted the calls to surrender her life to God. Then Varuska realized that she couldn't run from God. She thought of how angry her mother had been when her brothers had become Seventh-day Adventists. 
What would happen when Mother learned that she too was thinking of becoming a Seventh-day Adventist? Early on Sabbath morning, Veruska awoke and dressed, hoping to slip out of the house before her mother saw her and asked questions. But her mother saw her. What are you doing? Where are you going? she asked. I'm going to church, Veruska said, unwilling to lie. Which church? her mother asked. The Seventh-day Adventist church, Veruska answered. If you go, don't come back, her mother said angrily. Veruska's courage failed, and she changed her clothes and sat out and cried. Her brother saw her and said softly, Mum can't save you, only God can. Then he left. Veruska's mind was in turmoil. She recalled Bible text Marcus had read to her about leaving family to follow God. Her brother's words, Only God can save you, ran through her mind. Veruska ran to her room and dressed for church. As she walked out the door, her mother said, Take your things and don't come back. Now what? Veruska asked herself. She had no money and no place to go if her mother turned her away. Her father wasn't interested in religion and didn't care what she did. Oh, and the story continues next week. This has been Dr. Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.